Hey, this is Chris Lockwood, and you're listening to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, Alive. In a Welcome to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, where we have the privilege of hearing from people just like you and me who are seeking, learning, growing, striving to better understand just what it means to be fully alive and how that translates in the day-to-day. Well, first, I need to address something, my voice. A few weeks ago, I, um, I went to the doctor, and it turns out I have polyps, which are a lot like nodules, bumps, which are not good things, on my vocal cords, and so... Um, so speaking has gotten harder and harder, and you can probably hear it in my voice. So um, I'm also, you're probably not familiar with, with my, my world, I'm also a professional musician full-time, and so, um, so it makes for a fun time when you're a singer. So, uh, so forgive me if I crack. I'm trying to pace myself with these podcasts, so I may be doing one every other week until I get fully recovered or whatever ends up happening, but um, but yeah, but that brings me to my next point. Thank you that there's anybody on the other side of this microphone listening. I'm so thrilled. I keep getting great feedback from people um, just in random ways, and I'm thrilled that anybody is listening to this. You sort of press record in faith, hoping that someone's going to listen, and to my surprise, there have been people listening, and so thank you very much. I hope it's doing something for you, and I would love to hear how this podcast maybe is helping or what you've gotten out of it. Uh, maybe you've been touched, inspired, maybe you've kind of had a an epiphany. I don't know. Um, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is C Lockwood Music. Um, or email me at chrislockwoodpodcast at gmail.com. Your comments and your thoughts are so very, very welcomed. I'd love to hear from you. Now, this podcast is going to feel a little unfocused. Maybe uh, maybe unorganized is a, a better word. And I know that because I typically have an outline in front of me. But due to my voice, I wasn't even sure I was going to be recording podcast at this point in time. So I didn't really prepare for this one. Uh, but our schedules lined up, and we were like, hey, we should do it. And so um, so I kind of winged it, wung it, winged it. And, um, and, I've, and I've learned I need to always have an outline in front of me and be prepared. But um, I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, this is my good friend Jeremy Mayfield, one of the most authentic, real, engaging, talented, mysterious, unique, in a good way, and likable gents I've ever met. We met in Mobile, Alabama, where we both lived, and as of January 1st this year, I'm happy to say that he and his family are now Nashvillians, so I couldn't be more thrilled to have them up here. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Again, this is going to feel a little bit up in the air sometimes, but I do believe it's worth a listen. Listen, I appreciate you all. Again, thank you for listening. And so without further ado, please welcome my friend, Mr. Jeremy Mayfield. You just went on the road. 
I did. With Big Daddy Weave, and you and I have not talked about it yet. You're right. How was it? Fantastic. Absolutely such a huge blessing. I can't say enough great things about those guys. I think I told you a little bit. Like, I honestly thought after whatever it is, 17, 18 years doing what they do, I assumed that they would be at least a little bit jaded and uh, or a little bit cynical, and I was completely blown away. Yeah. I was really, it was truly, truly amazing. Genuine ministry time. It felt more of, I don't know, like a, I said, like a revival meeting rather than a concert. Yeah. You, and like, we'll, we'll backstory you in a sec and get, get, you know, let people know where you're from and stuff, but like, you just moved here to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, Nashville's a unique place, except especially for musicians, because right now you're in the stage of like building relationships and networking and all that stuff. And then you're here for a few weeks and then you get the surprise phone call. Right. From them. Is that like a little encouraging? Oh, yeah. I thought it was kind of like a, a nudge yeah. almost from God to say, because I moved here, yeah, with no. No job. Yeah. And I still currently have no steady job. Yeah. And I'm just walking by faith and waiting for doors to open. And then that was one of those doors that just a completely unforeseen thing that was a huge, huge opportunity, huge blessing and encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you haven't really done a lot of road life at all, if any, really. Not really. I've done a, this one band, I don't know, you may, uh, they were kind of big back in the day, 33 Miles. <laughs> um, not the best band ever. <laughs> They're no snarky, but they were decent guys. And, uh, that was the one, whatever trip we did back then. The uh, That's right, you did that, go out uh, with us. I went out with y'all that one time. Mm-hmm. And I did one other little brief road thing, but I've never been out yeah. for 11 did that? Did, did, did Big Daddy Weave, like, were you like... Oh, I, I really could do this, or was like, yeah, I definitely don't want to be on because you it have was, you haven't been somebody who's really wanted to be out on the road. Yeah, that's not. It's never <clears> been my. I'm a homebody yeah. overall, but and I don't think I could do the touring thing for weeks at a time and be away from my family. Yeah, I just can't do it because I have the cutest kids and a beautiful wife. So I understand why other people can do it because they don't have the cutest kids, <laughs> a beautiful wife. So. But for me, I'm in a unique position. So I could never do the weeks on end thing, but this was great. Like it was a 10 day run, five days, day off, another five days, and then home. So I think they've kind of orchestrated this and been able to move in that direction where they can have this 10 days on, 10 days off, and then have extended time in the summer where they're home with their families to hang out. And so it's not. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, they've been notorious for being out for like, a month or more. The what now? Straight, the, like being out for long periods of time. Oh, yeah. They used to do they that. Used to, yeah, I think they used to do that, and now they've kind of grown to this point, I guess, where yeah. they can dictate somewhat of their schedule. Yeah. So I realize that's not the the norm. So it really was the greatest thing, because if somebody called me up and said, hey, you want to go out for a month? After, and I hadn't seen my family, actually, for three weeks, coming up to that point, and then I saw my family for one day... And then I got the call. <laughs> and then I left again for 11 days. You were created for this life. So, but it was it was great. Yeah, that's awesome. I could do that. So anybody who wants to hire 
<laughs> bearded keyboardist. For five days. For five days. Let me be home one. Okay, so let's let's go back. So, um, where where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Really, Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You have any siblings? One sister. Yeah. Younger, about okay. four or five years. What did you uh, What did you guys do? What were you what Were your interests when you were younger? We were homeschool kids mm-hmm. for the most part. We were kind of off and on. It was an interesting. Back and forth, we were kind of homeschooled for a couple of years and then in school, homeschool um, for various reasons. But we were, I wasn't really into music actually until later, until about 13, huh. 14. So I was a sports. So you never did piano until then? I never then? did piano until like really? 13 or somewhere around there. I had a little Casio keyboard with like four keys on it or something. It was a little bit bigger than that, but and I still have it to this day. That's my. Anyway, is that I, the one that you brought? The one that you've seen it, yeah. <laughs> oh it gosh. makes its way around places. It's still kicking. Anyway, so I, I don't know why who gave me that, but I started playing around on this thing and making up goofy little songs and doing that all day. My parents kind of clued into it and then got me piano lessons and then I went from there and I was I ate it up, man. So I was practicing three or four hours a day yeah. because I. Could part of that the homeschool environment allowed me to really just dive in? Yeah. And so I. Why did Why did you guys go back and forth between homeschool and public or private? Private. So it was basically private, couple of years homeschool, private homeschool, private public is mm-hmm. my educational journey. Yeah. Which I think was good for me overall, but part of it was different financial reasons over the years. I think, and then just different. Placement, I guess, and opportunities, finding good schools, and then finding a good fit. Yeah. I really don't even understand all that. I'm learning more now as I become a parent of all that goes into it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No kidding. So. Did you but, Did you enjoy what, what did you enjoy more, or did it matter? Was it just because things were you were in different go, stages? You You like all. Yeah, I had. It's truly a mixed bag for me. Yeah. And that's why I guess I'm kind of I see both sides, or all the sides really of the different education. Yeah models and every kid's different really I'm learning yeah. that for sure you ended off in public so I ended off in public yeah so I graduated high school in a public school nice. which was a good it was a good experience yeah. overall I was and you were in Hattiesburg then too no I was uh, in Mobile at that point so when, when I was Mobile? we moved to Mobile when I was 15 so as a freshman I started at a private school at Faith Academy in Mobile huh. for a couple of years and then went to Baker for the last two years. What year did you graduate Baker? 98. Because that's where you... Did you So you were there in 97, 98? Yeah. I graduated in 96. Really? How funny. Dude. Yeah, I don't tell people that. that. You just missed. <laughs> if people ask, I tell them UMS Wright is where there I went to. There you go. <laughs> Respectable school. A school that costs more than most colleges real. you go to. No. Um, why, did y'all, why did y'all move to Mobile? My dad lost his job there in Hattiesburg and then got got a job in Mobile. And so we moved. It was, was that pretty, a long period, a long transition? Do you remember that? He, It was, for him to find, he, he it was a rough time for sure. Because mm-hmm. he, he lost his job that he'd had for like 20 years. And it's a great job. So he struggled after that. Found one job and it was a bust, basically. Mm-hmm. Had to find another job. 
And then that one, and I really do respect my dad for this because there was some immoral stuff going on and he basically wouldn't go along with it. Yeah. So he got fired from that job huh. and had to finally find another job. So that transit was a weird time for all of us. So yeah. we're all moving to a new place. We don't know anybody. It's your freshman in high school. So yeah. you're awkward as hell anyway. Yeah. And I happen to be a pudgy, bespectacled, braces <laughs> wearing nerd of a kid anyway who liked to play the piano um so that was a cool guy I would have loved I was a, we would have been friends I would have so. loved to have known you then. oh my gosh cool kid I think it, though I, I think it's funny like how much we change though and when you think about not that I've grown to be super cool or anything like that but just like and that you're so like in the middle of this world of trying to prove yourself to everybody and peer pressure is such a big thing. Right. And then looking back on who I was or when I look at pictures, it was like, I was lucky to have one friend. It's true. I was, so, I was such a dork. I'm you know? the same way. And we're like bending in every way we shape form that we can just to have just, people like you. And, right. I was, it was crippling for me for sure. Yeah. And I went into that, I don't know, that was the biggest school I think maybe that I had been in it coming from the homeschool where it was just me right and then we had a few families we would kind of do a group thing every now and then so I wasn't completely socially awkward but it was still a nerve-wracking yeah. experience and the whole transition those years were yeah those first couple of years were pretty rough in Mobile in Mobile moved, yeah yeah and then, Faith Academy too right yeah yeah so I was at Faith and then I think we got plugged into a youth group which was kind of the saving grace for me at Knollwood yeah. Assembly. Okay. And that was really one of the only, throughout high school, that was where I could thrive and flourish somewhat and kind of discover more who I was and express myself and then became part of the, the worship team. And kind of got out of my, I was the shy kid for most of my life. Yeah. And so that was the nudge that I needed and kind of pushed me out and, Ended up being the crazy guy doing goofy youth group videos, <laughs> which I never would have. There was a joke going around. I remember even in some of the skits there at the church, we'd be on retreat and it'd be a skit, and they would say, so-and-so became a skydiver or something like that, somebody that you would never think. And then so Jeremy Mayfield, the flaming evangelist, <laughs> because that was completely, I remember him saying that and me being mortified by that and pointing me out. But that was it because there's no way that Jeremy Mayfield would ever actually be out yeah. in front of people. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's funny and ironic, <laughs> but that kind of helped me. Those some formative years mixed with a whole lot of depression. Yeah. Well, mate, why do you, were you just kind of wired to be shy or were like, were there reasons or like, because were you playing sports as well? Is that what you? I did in freshman year. I was on the basketball team. Okay. So I tried to kind of play both sides and I was doing the piano thing and playing basketball my dream was to be the next Michael Jordan. I had every Jordan <laughs> paraphernalia, if you can imagine that. That was my dream. I was going to do it. And then I finally gave up on that and decided to do music. And now I'm a music superstar. So yeah. <laughs> it totally worked out, dude. Living in Nashville, come on. There's going to be a lot of sarcasm probably in this podcast, everybody. Be so warned. He's not being serious. <laughs> Most of what I say. <laughs> He's not being serious. Go to my Wikipedia to check out the true facts. Oh, wait. <laughs> Crap, I don't 
I'll, you know what? When we're done with this podcast, I'll start one. Okay. I'll start on Wikipedia for you. Please do. What um, were you were you because you've dealt with depression for a lot of years? Did it did it start that early? It started. I can remember being dealing with depression and anxiety early on. I really can't remember. I mean, him as a five and six year old. Really? Yeah. Did your parents struggle with it at all? I have a history yeah, on my dad's side. My dad, especially during those high school transition years and job hunting and all that stuff, my dad and I both were deep, yeah. deep down. And my mom and sister basically carried the family along for yeah. those years. So I'm super grateful for them. But so yeah, my, my dad has a history of depression. My grandfather had mental disorders. Um, Especially towards throughout his life, and then especially towards the end, and uh, which kind of turned into dementia and some Alzheimer's. So um, there's definitely a, a history of it. Yeah. And my aunt, my dad's sister, has had some depression, mental issues over the years. And like, did you do you know why? Like, I mean, do you you go it's it's because of something, or does it just seem like it's just kind of like my personal yeah. Thing? Um, like, is it circumstantial, or is it... I think it's a... Just something It's a mysterious I... thing to me. I still don't know how to wrap my mind around it, and I think... I'm not one of those says it's all chemical, physiological, or it's all spiritual. I think it... I don't know. I think we're multifaceted creatures, and God works in mysterious ways, and we can't understand Him, and sometimes just the nature of sin and being fallen creatures... Yeah. We're jacked up, man. Yeah. And uh, and yet, beautiful, and redeemed, and the pinnacle of God's creation. Mm-hmm. So yet again, and I love dichotomies so much. Um, but I think, and the older I get, the more I kind of, and I've tried to, and I've been in counseling and therapy off and on over the years, which is something I think everybody should. I'm not ashamed of that at all, and I promote it big time. Uh, probably should be actually I've got a counseling session right now I'm gonna head out <laughs> and You're... we're gonna finish this later <laughs> okay do you have you one want me to, you want me to stay okay um I thought this was the counseling session oh now I get it okay so going through counseling and therapy at a different time trying to rediscover I guess maybe unearth some things some early childhood that can get not try to recreate things necessarily or make things up, which I think is a a tendency for some people to do. And I I want to be I'm wary of that, but at the same time, trying to get to the root of things and um, have like kind of mini breakthroughs, I guess maybe off and on through mm-hmm. the years. And um, actually, just kind of had a little breakthrough on the road with Big Daddy Weave and praying with some of those guys. Um, it was really powerful mm. and really healing in a way so mm. I think it's kind of so it was like baby stepping kind yeah. of like just setting small goals and meeting those and yeah it's what? very much a baby step process yeah I think I think the stress and the pressure almost especially in the Christian world can be like bam yeah pray for the miraculous dude you're, you're totally done and you never struggle with that ever again and if that doesn't happen then you kind of wonder, oh, there's something wrong with me. It didn't take. Now I'm going to try it again and wait for the next big Because yeah, clearly your faith moment. is weak. Right. And there's sin in your life. That whole 
paradigm. And I was in the charismatic, super charismatic world for a little while, and that was, I was hurt by that a little bit, okay. even though there's some great, I still consider myself a charismatic. Yeah. Charismatic guy, for sure. But anyway, there can be abuses everywhere. So for me, I've come to the place of the process of salvation and redemption and mm-hmm. sanctification. It's a process, and I'm okay with that word. I embrace it now, as opposed to this one time, bam, you're changed. Even though, yes, I am a new creation, but I'm being created mm-hmm. into the image of Christ. And um, that's where I've come to now. So I, I think it's helpful. I've tried to look back and find and I've some roots of abuse in my childhood that kind of have, that can spawn depression and anxiety and suicidal tendencies, all of which I still struggle with to yeah. this day. And I've unearthed some things and trying to work through them. And uh, and I was always, like I said, I was somewhat of an awkward kid. I was the, the chubby kid who felt like I never really fit in. So I kind of struggled with weight issues to this day my entire yeah. life and gone through time. So I was chubby kid and then I was anorexic basically when I got to my senior year in high school and weighed 120 pounds when I graduated wow. as a six foot tall senior. And then everybody said, wait, you're too skinny. You're, that's freaky. And I was like, damn it, you told me to be skinny. What do you want from me, people? So then I went on my uh, super beef up macho man phase where I worked out and took every supplement I could and worked out six days a week and beefed up a little bit to try to please everybody. Yeah. And then that ended up not really working out either because then you're too muscular you're too big and it's kind of weird and I injured myself I have a lot of health issues we don't have to go into nerve pain and all kinds of spinal issues because of working out so much and that was my my god that was Uh, my savior at that point really absolutely sold out to my body was it, was it people pleasing or was it was it Jeremy pleasing? Like was it self it was inflicted or was it more you were trying to like fit in? It was both. Like yeah. I really feel like I needed to ever since I could have never remember liking myself, looking in the mirror and actually liking myself. There'll be different phases over time where in middle school I had to have the cool clothes and that's where I found some at least some value because I hated my body and myself. So if I could get some stylish clothes, then yeah. That could make up at least, so that I could maybe fit in and be accepted. And then that phase rolled over into whatever the next thing. And then I was the, the intellect, the nerd in high school, so I could get good grades. And then maybe that could be my identity. So then, and then it was the working out, the physique thing. So it's once again, it, it's always though trying to find. It's the pitfall of trying to find worth outside of yeah. God. Yeah. It's always going to be a dead end. Which, for people that don't know, you know, Christian faith and, like, in layman's terms, in Jeremy's terms, like, kind of, like, elaborate on that. Like, finding worth outside of God. Like, how, like you just said, it's it's kind of, it's worthless to even right. attempt that. It's a point and why you think it's, it's healthy to find worth in yeah. Christ. I think the only way... To find worth is to to view yourself, I guess, as a creation of 
the creator, the ultimate creator. And so if the ultimate creator doesn't create crap, and he doesn't, and you believe that, then that has to inform your worldview mm-hmm. and your self-view. And it can sound cheesy to just say, well, just find your, see yourself as God sees you, and yeah. Jesus loves you the way you are. But those simple truths are truly profound if you can absorb them and really, I don't know, let them shape you over time. And I'm still struggling with it to this day. Yeah. But I hold on to them. And it's the only hope that I have, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's so easy for us to slip into, you know, um, I mean, there's so many, I guess you could say little gods that we try to, that we try to find worth in. And like, like faith is like, just even for people that, even for people of faith, it's hard to live by faith. And we easily are, um, I guess, influenced by the culture to where we feel like, well, for us as musicians, our musicianship, if it doesn't meet a certain level, we feel like we're falling. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and then like if our family doesn't look perfect, well, then we don't, you know, we're not meeting the standards of the yuppie family down the street or, you know, and if our income doesn't look this way. And like you said, now, especially with, it seems like uh, health and wellness has become such a huge thing it's i feel like it's like at the height it's at the, the highest it's, it's ever been which is good it makes me happy yeah like, but if you but don't you know time, if you don't look a, like right if you don't yeah. look like chris lockwood i mean hello then <laughs> and actually i i don't so i'm doing a little bit <laughs> but it's so we can be it's so easily yes. sidetracked by that stuff and like you know like it's i think it's good to always improve and to sharpen yourself and we talk oh, about yeah. like if anybody knows if anybody's a Christian, you know that the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is um, self-control. And I, th- I mean, I think like to have to practice self-control and how you eat and how you whatever yeah. sleep and how you treat people and how you X, Y, and Z. Like it's it's good, but it can quickly become so you know unhealthy. You know, like right. to where it can it can hurt spiritually and yeah. mentally. Yeah, totally. and so finding worth in God. Oh, going off one more thing. I mean, like, yeah, go ahead. One of my favorite quotes, and I've still got it on my phone, screensaver. I think your brother actually turned me on to this and told me about it. Um, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Yeah. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, maybe? Huh. I hope I'm getting it right. I don't know. Or Franklin. Some sort of Roosevelt. Um, comparison is the thief of joy. Just let that sit for yeah. a second. Because man, and how often do we do that? Oh my god! Every day. That kills me, in a good way. Yeah. To the core. So yeah, that's. And it's like if you think if you believe in God, <laughs> it's like there is no comparison. Right. Like, you know, like we can't do the things that He does. So, it's almost like the opposite, uh, extreme opposite. Like, so then find joy in the fact that like. In uniqueness. Yeah. So. If comparison is the thief of joy, then almost exulting in your uniqueness can be the the bearer of joy. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. When so, did you? When did faith come in to the picture for you? For me, so I was raised in a typical, I guess, conservative Christian home uh, family. So I was earliest memories of me hearing Bible stories and 
memorizing verses. Yeah. And I got baptized as a six-year-old, maybe. Okay. So it's kind of a, that's all I've really known. Okay, so you in your faith is what exactly? Like, kind of like for someone who doesn't know where, you know, where you're trying to explain a person, like your point of view or whatever, where do you, what's your background? So I feel like I've been all around uh-huh. um, at this point. So I'm currently a Catholic, uh-huh. a charismatic Catholic, which some people find odd, but uh, I started out in a Church of God, an Assemblies of God, very charismatic Pentecostal uh, environment, and then moved into more uh, of a Calvinistic framework Still kind of basically a Reformed Baptist kind of viewpoint in college. And then um, actually went to a Presbyterian seminary for a couple of years. And then from there went to take a position at uh, a Reformed Baptist church up in Washington State. Briefly. <laughs> Very briefly. Because I started becoming a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And... Imagine that. They weren't cool with that. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> amazing, great people. But so you moved from Mississippi. Oh, I went from, yeah. Yeah, so you went back to Mississippi for I went back to Mississippi um, to Jackson for seminary. Right. And then I went to Washington to this little city called Yakima. And then for about nine months or so, maybe a year. And then I went to Portland, Oregon, because God opened some doors there for me and to do some Catholic ministry there. And then, was there briefly, and then moved back to Mobile because I had a house there that I owned during this whole traveling across the world sort yeah. of thing. And then my father-in-law was dying of cancer basically at that time, so we went back to be with him and uh, kind of get things settled there in Mobile. Stayed there for about five years, and then here we are. Yeah. So you're, like, why... why um because usually people will find, you know, their little niche of faith, be it Baptist, Catholic, you know, whatever. Um, it's stick with it their whole life. Well, oh, I, I forgot to mention there was a point where I was an atheist, actually. Okay. Okay. Uh, funny story. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so I, in seminary, there's the kicker. So just an encouragement to anybody out there who's in that world and in the faith world and you're struggling and some days you feel like, you're surrounded by crazy people who believe in God. You're not alone. It happens. And uh, and it's okay. And so I was in seminary. I became, I don't know, I just, a crisis of faith. Super depressed. Wrestling with so many different issues and things. And then the weight of, so I was in seminary and I was thinking, okay, preparing. I'd given up music at that point. I'm going to be a preaching pastor, teaching pastor. I was a theology reading. That was my bag at that point and um so the weight of the responsibility of coming out and being a pastor and teaching people and saying from the pulpit this is what god says uh struck me pretty heavily and so i i wrestle with that and the short story is uh wrestling with authority issues and who am i to say that this is the this is what god says this is what the bible says 
in an authoritative sense. And so for me, that ended up in a lot of other issues. That, that led me to actually become a relativist at that point because I was arguing back and forth with these other people who disagreed with my interpretation. And so I kind of came to the place of, well, who knows then? I mean, I'm kind of tired of arguing. You say your interpretation's right. I say mine's right. Obviously, we can't know anything, so whatever. Yeah. Anything goes. Which, and so then I kind of took that road a little bit and then led me, I say an atheist, I was an agnostic, I guess would be the term. I don't think I've ever would come out and dogmatically say, no, there is no God, absolutely. But I was very, uh, it was up in the air, it was an open question for me. Mm. And even though I was serving at times in a church, in a local church setting and playing music and worship, and there would be times when I would look out on a Sunday morning and go, you people are crazy. Yeah. What is going on here? What am I doing? And anyway, I looking back, I can see God using that actually. And so losing faith as as a means of actually gaining more faith, as crazy as that can sound, and counterintuitive as it is, but I believe that God used that experience for me. For sure. So I've been in these worlds, in the evangelical world, in the agnostic world, the whole thing, and then back and kind of restored almost, I feel like, to where my faith now is at a place where it's stronger than it's been. What, how, why were you, why would you say, what, what led you to go in from one, I guess, denomination to Yeah, so another? from being, I mean, I was raised as a kid, so like, you go where your parents go. So right. for me, I kind of didn't even question anything until, uh, college. I started reading the first book I actually ever read on my own that I wanted to, that I wasn't forced to read for school or something was, um, Mere Christianity, mm. C.S. Lewis. And that just started to kind of like opened up my mind to even start questioning and wrestling with certain things. Um, that led to, and that was involved in another college ministry when I was there in Mobile. And, uh, so it was more where the opportunity, opportunities were. It's kind yeah, of open I think up the door so. and go somewhere else. And... Yeah, I think it was, I don't know, environmental in a sense to where what I was surrounded with. And I do believe that God, I'm, I'm grateful for, I don't look back on any of the places where I've been and served and learned. And I still, to this day, am reminded of uh, a John Piper quote or something that speaks to me and yeah. I think is full of truth and is amazing. That I was in that when I was in that world, I don't know. I feel like it can sound cheesy that all truth is God's truth, mm. and then you can find it in everywhere. Yeah, literally. I mean, like, so you weren't necessarily saying I'm changing my denomination or anything like that. It was just more like I'm here because. And I was serious. I'm a truth seeker. Yeah. At the core of me, I really, I want to be that, and I believe that that's what I am. And. I've been ridiculed over the years for people that are looking at me like, well, there's Jeremy. He's just going off and doing the next thing. Give him a year and he'll be a Buddhist next year or something like right. that. And I try not to pay attention to that sort of thing. But I'm comfortable with who I am and I do believe that I seek for truth mm-hmm. wherever that is and wherever that leads me. So at these different points in time, during my in, in college, during that time, I was seeking truth and that led me into a certain world and arena and then I was I continued to seek truth and then God led me to another another place yeah another 
place where I can serve yeah. and be used, I guess. Because it takes all kinds, and I'm really pretty ecumenical. I used to be pretty, uh, pretty narrow, I think, on this is it and this is the place to be, and now I'm maybe it's getting older. I don't know. I feel like a pretty ecumenical. <laughs> I mean, you were dude. were you planning on was was the church you know was with Christianity and the church just a part of your life? You weren't really planning on ministry to say not until so in college I got my music degree right. okay, so I studied piano I got a music degree I started teaching piano and guitar lessons after college and then I in doing some worship leading some songwriting and then I got nodules on my vocal cords right after I got married I laugh because you know I'm you doing like this interview with polyps <laughs> on my vocal cords if I sound Dude. rough, everybody, it's because I have polyps on my vocal cords. It's so fun, I apologize. Isn't it, man? It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably the worst couple of years of my life there. Thanks. Just <laughs> I'm sure yours will be way better, though. This <laughs> is going to be fun, dude. It's going to be great. Mm. Drink that water. <laughs> so, I. I developed nodules on my vocal cords right as I was about to develop some songwriting stuff. I don't know if I even told you about this back in the day. And I was, I just got married. And so, uh, turns out communication is kind of a big deal when you get married, talking and such, right? And so, we had to kind of do without that, seeing as how I couldn't really talk much at all. And I went to speech therapy, had to relearn how to talk correctly which is just humiliating. But they were great people anyway. God provided that outlet. But I can't tell you that process. Anyway, so I lost my voice. I wasn't going to be a singer. I couldn't sing for three years, basically. So I couldn't talk hardly for a year. <clears throat> and I couldn't sing for about three years. So that kind of led me. Once again, it was kind of a situation thing. So I kind of turned my focus more toward theology. And uh, which I think I needed because at that point, and not that all musicians are this way, but the tendency for creative artist musician people can be more to lean on the right side of the brain and be creative and let more critical thinking and philosophy and what other things get left by the wayside. Mm -hmm. So for me, I needed a little bit of a, a shift. And apparently, I'm a really stubborn dude looking back at my life, and then God has to really smack me across the face mm -hmm. to turn my head to look elsewhere. So it took my voice away, or I still don't even know what I believe about that. If God, God uses things in life. I'm not saying that God is the one who took my voice away because I made some stupid decisions too. I was smoking like a chimney and trying to sing out of my range and acid reflux. I don't know. There's so many things that culminated in me losing my voice, yeah. looking back on it now. Anyway, using all that to channel my focus somewhere else, which helped me grow in another area, which then when I came back to music, went to seminary to be a preacher, and then six months into it, I start writing songs to try to learn my Greek vocabulary words, and then it leads to another song, and then which leads to another thing, and I started doing more hymn arrangements, and I realized this is what I want to do. This is what I'm doing with my life. I'm writing music. I am a musician who now at least has a little bit wider viewpoint yeah. overall. 
I don't know where I was going with any of that. <laughs> That's good. At all. But here we are now, and I'm a charismatic Catholic guy who loves singing psalms. It's one of the cool things that I love about when I became Catholic. We sing responsorial psalms every Sunday. Yeah. So i got to give a plug for singasalm.com. Sing a psalm. Sing right? a psalm. Not a psalm. P-S-A-L-M. That's Jeremy's web. Singasalm.com is a little project thing where I post some arrangements. Yeah. Of mine, of the Psalms. Now, um, so while we're on, on on faith, you're Catholic now. What what was it about Catholicism that you were like, okay, this is this is this is right, you know? For me, it was more because here's here's honestly, and I'll probably people will probably think ill of me for saying this. You bigot. <laughs> he's looking at me with an I'm, angry face I'm over denominations oh. I'm just kind of over it I feel you and, and the reason why is because I don't think there's any in heaven and, hmm. and you know and, and and it's just it gets to where it's like it's 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 almost our um, I get that people want to be classified with to make sure to make clear what they where they believe and what they're hmm. but um, it's to almost borderline arrogance to me where it's like well this is our clique and we know better than your clique yeah. and it's these dividing lines where I just feel like it's unnecessary used to I thought it was Baptist um, but now I'm just kind of like I just don't know that that's that's right you know like and um, I'm not saying that being a part of a community whether it be Catholic or non-denominational or whatever is wrong right. I'm just like personally over it. So it doesn't bother me if you're Catholic or if it doesn't bother me if somebody is something else because at the end of the day, it doesn't... You know what I mean? Right. But you have different thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's a good place to be for sure. And I stand with you. Like, I lament the fracturing of Christianity because I think there is something to be said for unity in the world being the witness... <clears throat> Unity and love. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Which we don't and have then, that. And then the unity in Christ. If Christ prayed for unity in John 14, and he's... I don't know. If, if Christ is the vine and we're the branches, I, I still don't... I don't think he meant 30,000 branches of <laughs> denominations in yeah. Christianity. I don't think that's what he meant. But I think unity is a... Especially in the world, man, it seems more and more divided. I mean... Goodness gracious. Well, I mean, like you look at look on um, just in every other aspect too, not just you know. We religion. live on we have we're we're a social media world now. So, like you look online, and you've got the church bashing the church about what the church is not and what it's becoming and, and all this stuff, sure. and, and it's like God, even the church. You know what I mean? It's like can fall prey to like clearly the United States of America is very, you know. Uh, and what is it? Uh, people are divided, a nation divided, or a house divided mm-hmm. will fall. And like we're so divided, and then no, not the church. Like, and it's just right. like the church is like, and no one. What's weird now is like very everybody's vocal about it, and no one's shy about saying you're wrong yeah, and right, blah right. blah blah. Let me tell you how to do it, and it's just like, ah, oh, this is not what <laughs> this is not what we're supposed to be doing. Right. To piggyback on that, I guess yeah, you could. I haven't thought about that, but you could extend it. So the house divided, 
cannot stand. So like the house of God divided cannot stand mm-hmm. either. So, but you, it's, you get, so Catholicism, what, what made so you for, land there? For me, it's more of a historical, I mentioned a little bit of my, uh, you're in Washington state. Like how did I'm you go from state. working in a church and all of a sudden end up? So even through my, <clears throat> my seminary time was a little, was formative for me in the way I thought and some of the things I was wrestling with. Um, I told you I became a relativist because at the end of the day, I kind of came to the place of saying, we're all arguing these interpretations of the same book, but who gets to determine what's right? Is there any authoritative body or structure outside of ourselves, outside of the Bible, which sounds like heresy, but some spirit-led body or authority structure that could help guide the church and guide Christians so that when we do argue about what X means in the Bible, because you can basically make anything out of the Bible, anything. I can start a church tomorrow based on coffee drinking, mm-hmm. as I'm doing right now. By the way, there's a is, book called Hebrews. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the Word. You said it, bro. <laughs> Quick plug for uh, Mule Town Coffee. Good stuff. Good stuff. Check it out. And if you're in the Spring Hill, Nashville area, go to Red Oak Cafe and get you some. <laughs> so, um, okay, so you make anything out of the Bible. I'm struggling with, okay, what do I do? What do I do here? You say this, I say this. He says that. We are all fighting here. Is there anything? And I kind of gave up because I was raised anti-Catholic. Yeah. That they worship the devil and worship Mary and statues and the whole nine. They're all going <clears> to hell. So that's not even an option on the table for me. Yeah. Right? So at that point, I just said, screw it. Anything goes. I believe in Jesus. He came, he came and he died and he rose again. Period. Mm-hmm. Anything else goes. So, I think that was kind of the seed in me and then I kind of took that with me. After I had even come through and worked through some of my issues and gone in down into the agnosticism for a while and kind of regained a sense of faith, I regained it with a more open hand instead of a closed-fisted grasp of the faith that I had. Which, go to Washington, and then I encounter, I had just a conversation with a man there who mentioned the Greek Orthodox Church, which is something that I'd never even heard of, really. I guess I'd heard of it, but never really considered it, or considered it to be Christian. But it wasn't Catholic, so maybe they have something going on over there. Let's check it out. Let's see. And that blew my freaking mind at that point. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a... Why? What, what was it? That... The... Well, I, going into that led me into more church history, reading the early church fathers, so nobody had ever really told me, or maybe in their defense, they told me and I wasn't willing to listen. I don't know. I still don't feel like reading the church fathers is a big part of the evangelical Protestant game plan. Mm-hmm. To their detriment, I would say. Catholic Church has many issues, believe me. But that's one of the things so that I never knew about. So I started diving into that and finding the writings of the people who the apostles discipled. So like we actually have those writings. So the dudes that studied under Peter and Paul, we actually have their writings. So in what they said seemed a whole lot different than what I had been raised was the way to do church and the way, what theology was. And anyway, 
And it looked a whole lot like the Catholic Church, which just freaked me out. Completely freaked me out. For good and bad. So at first it was a freaky thing, like, but going back, so if these guys who studied under the apostles, who were studied under Jesus, and this is just this one generation removed, why do I trust? Because I used to trust the Puritans. I thought the Puritans were the old guys, yeah. right? Like way back when, a couple hundred years ago. Not that anybody who loves <clears> Puritans, <throat> go for it. But what about the guys who were way, 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 way back right after? So if I can listen and learn from the guys who learned from the apostles, and I can read the Bible, and I can read the church fathers as Christianity and onward throughout history and see how things develop in the church, for me, that, that was kind of a game changer. Mm-hmm. So for me, I saw, I saw the Catholic Church. When I hold them up side by side, I see... You felt like there's more of a parallel there? Early church. Is, is The Catholic Church is the parallel in the continuation of the church that Jesus established. And yeah. I say the church because he didn't start a bunch of churches. He started one. And I believe, personally, that the Catholic Church is that church. And the line of succession of authority through bishops and priests that have gone down through time. That the Holy Spirit, not because of any men being so holy and awesome, but yeah. because the Holy Spirit is there mm-hmm. and that despite all the crap that's happened and all, a lot. <laughs> all the horrible things and the horrible men sinners, imagine that. That's something people say, well, what, well the Catholic Church has got a lot of problems. Haven't you haven't you heard about this stuff? Like, no way, dude. Sinners being sinful? That's crazy. <laughs> I, I have a snarky, smug face right now. I wish you could see it. <laughs> anyway. I, wish we, I wish I had this all on video just so people could watch you while you talk. So, anyway. I'm not excusing anything anywhere. Yeah, yeah. People are... We're people, man. Sinners are going to sin. Imagine that. So, despite all that, the Catholic Church is still standing today, 2,000 years later, and it has a pedigree and a history that to me is unparalleled. And proof of the power of the Holy Spirit who's leading and guiding and the gates of hell will not prevail. They have not prevailed mm. against the church. They won't because, not because of any man or any saints, but because of the Holy Spirit working powerfully and Christ guiding his church through the ages amidst turmoil. And I'm going to throw, I'm going to be devil's advocate. Do it. Um, you're a conspiracy theorist. Say it. I'm a, tr- I'm a I believe in truth and reality. <laughs> but you're a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. Someone you know, put the label. The people, um, you know, when you t- think about the old church, the religious folk and the powers that be who are the ones that you don't cross literally hated the church, right? They they hated um they hated Christ. It, right, because right. it shook the their yeah, yeah, yeah. their thing up, and their I mean, now listen, paradigm. I'm not the most intelligent person in the world, so I'm just playing devil's advocate. And my my question may be the most irrelevant, most pathetic question ever. But the Catholic Church, the Pope seems to be in a place where like men in power now kind of bow at his bow down to him and kiss his hand, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like it's like the position has changed. Whereas people who are really for Christ, like government and all that stuff hate 
but now with the Pope, yeah, and you and, and you're like I'm uncomfortable with that personally. Like, and and people and like people um, people almost go like to have that much money and that much power. There's there's got to be something there that's off, insidious, in yeah. Some nature. So I don't know. I'm not accusing the Pope. I appreciate that of the things that I do know about him that he is for the poor and that he's he does you know um, his stance seems to be very Christ yeah. centered but it does make you go how does a man that in history most people hated anyone who represented the person of Jesus Christ and all of a sudden people are like you know partly I think it's a misperception like so the mainstream media puts out that's I mean, true it's like every other day there's something new that the Pope what is the word that they'll even use? Pope implies. Yeah. Pope insinuates. Pope Francis, <laughs> in a roundabout sort of way, kind of <laughs> said something crazy. And there's your headline. Yeah. Because it's been translated from like four different languages or something. It gets to English and then some off-the-cuff thing when he was riding his bike down a street or something and some reporter said, hey, what you think about this? And he says something in Italian or whatever. Anyway. The, the issues there are multiple. And I still think, along with many other Catholics, we're kind of like, Francis, ch- chill out with the, the off-the-cuff. Because the world is listening to you. <clears throat> like, this part of me that seems like, is he either, either he knows it and he just doesn't care, or he's aloof and he really doesn't get, which is hard for me to believe. I don't know. Maybe he's just, he's so, so down-to-earth and he's so normal- and a humble guy that he says stuff like a normal person and then doesn't realize that the rest of the world is taking every yeah. syllable that he says as infallible truth. Yeah. Uh, Which, <clears throat> while we're on the subject of infallibility, newsflash is the Pope is not infallible. So I did just say that. Okay. Because <laughs> it's a very specific parameter around which infallible statements can be made. And some people buy it, and you don't. And non-Catholics can say, oh, I, don't, I don't buy that whole qualification. But they are there. There have been very few, actually, infallible statements, which are dogmatic statements on faith and morals that have very specific parameters. So when a pope proclaims something as dogmatically to be believed by all the faithful, it has to be laid out. It's very specific. It's not just... So the things that he says on an airplane, and some reporter puts a mic in his face... That's not... He could be way it off. To, it has to go through process. Yeah, saying. yes. It's a very <clears throat> guarded yeah. process. So, the Pope could say crazy stuff. And I think he said some weird stuff. And I can say that. I'm still a good Catholic and I respect the office of the papacy. But, ultimately, he is just a man. Yeah. And he's in, he's in a position of power that I believe that Christ instituted. Okay, He is the shepherd, I believe, on earth... Not the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. He's merely a stand-in, a representative here on earth while we're still here to have a shepherd to lead the Christian faithful. I believe of all Christian faithful. You can listen to him or you cannot. But it doesn't mean that every single thing he says is going to be golden and it's going to be infallible. He hasn't said anything that I know of. I don't know. He he may have come up with a couple of documents. So now it's like a terrible Catholic. I don't even know. I should have. I'm just kidding. I've read all the documents. <laughs> I'm actually going to go to Mass right now. And I have my rosary with me right here. Do you hear the beads on the table? <laughs> so, 
so anyway, so that's a, that's one of my frustrations as a Catholic from other people that view it, and they'll come up with these, you know, the here Pope Francis said this or did that. Yeah, because and there have been some whacked out popes in the past. Yeah, whacked out dudes who have been up to fill the office. So the office of the papacy is divinely inspired and preserved. Yeah. The various men who inhabit that. That's that's up for, for debate. But here's the one thing that I do believe is that the Holy Spirit guards that office and that he protects it with a vengeance. So there was a pope back in the 3rd or 4th century who was actually on the eve of him. He had planned to proclaim some sort of heresy. Okay, He was going to add some books <clears throat> to the Bible, I think, or something, or take some, something was going to happen. Forget the story. Wacky, right? The day before, the night before, he dies in his sleep. And it's not done. It's not promulgated. And to me, that's evidence. And that's, there are multiple stories of that to where you think you're going to get one by on the Holy Spirit just because you're the Pope? Sorry, dude. You're not going to do it. Yeah. So for me, my, once again, to reiterate, my hope is in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. My hope ain't in the Pope. Because he could be, he could be wacky. Yeah. I respect the office. I respect him. And uh, anyway, so my hope ultimately, that and that ties into everything, that any priest scandal can't undo or some bishop so-and-so said this and somebody halfway around the world did this or that. I, uh, I still think that Christ's ultimate desire and goal is to have one Visible. I know people say like the whole visible, invisible thing. I believe that Christ's desire is a visible unity because we live in a visible, physical world, right? A visible unity with one church. So my ideal, yes, would be everybody is a member of the Catholic, of the Catholic church. church. Yeah. And there is one church with all our different ways of expressing ourselves and different giftings that occur within that, but still with some submission to Christ, ultimately we're all submitted to Him, but to this visible unity and some sort of structure that's not, and people hear that, some people, you know, you hear that word, and I get it, if you've been burned by hierarchy and structure, you hear those terms and you're like, freaking out, you want to run away from it, I totally get it, but what I've found, for what it's worth, my testimony is being now in this hierarchy and superstructure and liturgical world that's supposed to be so rigid, I'm the most free I've ever been. Yeah. I mean, you know, all you're, all you're saying is um, it's sort of like a, um, a snapshot into the way it was with Israel, where there's God and there's Moses. Right. And then there's people of Israel. And the Pope is basically the Moses... You can who, say that, yeah. Who is sort of the the shepherd. Yeah, to lead people. And yeah. he still sinned and messed up. Right. And God smacked him down about it. Yeah. But he's still their leader. And David, you have the King David, who's one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time, arguably, who was a total screw-up at times. And yet he was the king. Yeah. And you don't... I don't know. But I don't... I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm being exclusive or whatever. Or like I, I no. really do. I've seen the Holy Spirit, and I've worked. Goodness, I've been worship leading in 
Assemblies of God, Methodist, Baptist, Anglican. I've been, well, as a Catholic even, and I see the Holy Spirit, and I see God show up all over the place. Yeah. And I affirm that, and I love it. So I affirm anybody. I don't want to be that guy who's, whatever, coming down and saying, even though I'd say, ideally, we can all be part of the Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, talk about David being a screw-up. I've kind of come to the place where um, I don't welcome being a screw-up and don't want to thrive in that, but I've grown more comfortable with it. It's like you don't want to do things that dishonor the Lord, you know? I'm not saying that. But I've grown okay with the fact that, like, growth and maturity is good, but, like, you're not perfect, you know? And so... I think that's, you know, maybe that's, maybe because the Pope wears a white robe and lives in a big place and is protected by a lot of cigars, like, we expect this man to be perfect, and so therefore, like, we take his word right as, like, well, this is, this is the word of God, whatever he says, if, you know, like. Right. I think um, he has, that's what, he knows that tendency, though, at least Pope Francis seems to be trying to from the start like undo that and be in right. on the streets and kissing the feet of women and widows and whatnot. like he seems to be trying to and all the yeah there's so much symbolism in the Catholic Church and in the world and the cardinals they wear these big red hats the red because they, they that is a symbol of their when they become a cardinal they're saying I'm giving my life basically as a martyr to be soaked with blood if need be. Mm-hmm. So it's a sacrificial thing. But for us, the outsiders just say, why is he wearing that big red hat? That's dumb. Mm-hmm. It just makes him look more important. But it's actually deep meaning. And you can apply that to literally every single weird, quote, thing that you see in a Catholic church when you walk in or on, if you ever seen a mass on TV or whatever. Like There is deep rich meaning behind every no matter if people see it or not it's there yeah and it's so man once you once you see it it's life giving and it's freeing and it's affirming and empowering the holy water and crossing yourself reminding you of your baptism how's it a bad thing yeah that's what I don't and making the sign of the cross when you pray. Catholics always say the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're affirming the Trinity, which is a defining characteristic of Christianity. The defining characteristic. Yeah. Okay? So, and making the sign of the cross is not just some rote, ritualistic thing. You're reminding yourself of the cross. <laughs> I have a pondering face right now. And how is that a... A negative thing? thing? Yeah. Please tell me again. The Trinity and the cross of Christ. But your salvation was bought for you. Okay, so this is You what, got a problem with that? Because I love... I love um, but if it is merely ritual, I've got a problem with it too. Yeah. I'm with you. Go for it. What for... You know, there may be people who don't know. Like, Christianity is a fluke for them. Like, what is, in Jeremy's words, what, are, what is Christianity? Like, when you talk about the cross, like, what is, what's so important? You know, what, what do you... The basis, I guess the basic claim of Christianity, of Christ, the God-man, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, coming 
being incarnate, being made man, coming to earth, dying on the cross, rising again. Life, death, resurrection. Those are historical, real claims that Christianity makes. And those are, I would say, the foundation of Christianity. And that rising again and that promise and hope of us and for our life and our death and that we can be resurrected and that we will live mm-hmm. in the new heavens and new earth and a glorified. Why do you, why do you think like, why do you think um, like, you know, people like hear Catholic, Baptist, all this stuff and they go, this is why I don't want to be a part of this because it's like, it's confusing. You guys can't even like right, agree right. on the, on the agreeable things. And like, like why, why should somebody consider, like why is it important did somebody know Christ? Like, why? Why is that Same. such a? Why, I mean, obviously, you know, we can get into why you're Christian and is it Calvinist? Is it God moving on you or you choosing Him? But like, so let's just say it's someone believing in God. Like, why is it important that someone trust in Christ? Like, for someone who's just going, like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, why is that? Why is that so important? Here's what I would say. I'd say to going back to all truth is God's truth and to seek truth. That's what I would affirm and say for anybody and realizing the the journey and the progression and I would say that the ultimate truth of God is revealed it's revealed in creation you see it all around us and there's something in I believe inherently in all of us that that knows that we are created for something more and I think that Christ is the what I believe is the revelation is the ultimate if you want to see what God is all about the one God who created the universe if you want to see what he's all about he has revealed himself through Jesus and through his life and his death and his resurrection and it can be pretty simple as simple as is that like I think that's something that everybody can, or at least Christians can agree on on that, and I think that's the only true hope. I think you can find bits and pieces of truth all over the place. You can find it in Buddhism. You can find it in Hinduism. You can find it in New Age theology. You can find bits of truth all around because they're God's truth. But I think if you want to get the full, the full picture, then you look into the face of Jesus. You talk about the church and your faith and all because it's like that's a huge part of your, your journey. Like how, like how has it helped you? I mean, you mentioned, you know, depression. Like how has faith played a role in, in dealing with that, or has it? I think it has, mm-hmm. for sure. I think it's brought. Has it added to? There's a part of it, yeah. Like it's it's kind of a mixed bag. I think they were part of some of. Because you almost feel a guilt that almost comes with it for being depressed. If you're a depressed Christian, mm. that's supposed to be an oxymoron. You can't have that. So then, if you start going down that road, and then you feel the guilt of wait, <clears throat> I'm not allowed to be this way. Crap, maybe I'm not 
Christian, I must be a total failure. So there's part of that, but then there's also the other side of things, which the hope that's there, and I mean, not, not even just for this life, next week, next year, the next 10 years, but the ultimate hope we believe as Christians is the end of all things and the restoration of all things and justice reigning and um, and pain being no more mental pain as well in that so it's a it's a weird thing mm. to try to grab hold of, of both of those things I guess in my mind and wrestle with them and there are times when yeah I think you, I've fought back against religion in a way and against Christianity just to want to be able to not have to deal with that and just let me be just yeah. let me be depressed and suicidal and then wallow in my own world I don't want to have to reckon with that and I do think there's a space for that I think there's a there is a healthy space like I'm learning more and more and I'm not cheering for agnosticism in any way here but I had m- multiple friends myself so many people I know that, that wrestle with faith on a, on a pretty regular basis and finding the beauty in that which sounds may sound strange to a lot of hardcore Christians maybe but I don't know ultimately believing that, that God is good and once again that God can use these times of lack of faith to build up a greater faith to mm. keep the end in mind yeah I think that is we say that all the time like yeah it's about the end goal we're pressing onward toward the goal toward the prize this is it here but then we can get so caught up in the the here and now in this very moment and is your faith the strongest it's ever been right now and that's all that matters and I think that's crippling yeah I think we can see we see everything from such a you know from a small point of view. And I used to, I mean, like, you know, when you're young, younger, and I'm still ignorant, but hopefully maturing, but like, you, we see things from such a small point of view and we don't see the whole picture like God does. And so when we say, you know, there's the scripture of all things work together for the good of those who love him. Mm-hmm. We say that, but I don't know that we really, like David having, what's his face, killed so he could have... Right sex with his wife um like from our point of view we go what did you know that's pathetic blah 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 but when we say all things work together for good god may have used that whole experience in david's life to right to make it better or make or to teach him something or what like which sounds weird it's like well how can god use that right. i'm not saying god made him do that. I'm just saying God can take yeah, yeah. our... And and like, to teach him and to teach us Yeah, thousands of years later. Exactly. I mean, we're here we are reading going... We're talking about it One, right now. don't do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? But if you do do that, then there's hope. Right. Afterward. Right. I mean, you know, darkness, depression, all that stuff like... Or struggling with sin, like somehow, if we love God and we trust Him, somehow God in a weird way, takes our, our, you know, the greatest we can be and the absolute worst we can be and somehow does some good things. Right. There's some quote, I forget who it's by, that I've always liked, that God, 
God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Hmm. I really love that picture and that imagery. Yeah. I think that's a hopeful thing for yeah. sure and looking back in mind. And I've been able to give over the years to be able to minister, I guess, in a way to encourage other people who have been in the same places, in the dark places, were in college when I had a gun, a loaded gun to my head about to pull the trigger. And that's happened. And then being struggling with suicidal tendencies, thoughts, I don't want to say it's a constant way of life for me. There have been seasons, but I'm familiar with that. That doesn't freak me out. But why, why, why do you feel like, like, why do you feel like you've come to the place those times where you've come to, why come to the place or what caused you to go, hey, I really want to end right here? For me, it was multiple things stacking up. For me, I think it's part of, this isn't a, a cop-out, but I think it's part of my makeup mentally that I do lean more in that direction on the artistic side, whatever you want to say, of being emotional and affected by the world. So I kind of liken it to if you've got the normal, quote, person, they if you go up to them and you you hit them on the arm, they just, it doesn't, doesn't hurt them as badly, right? So, but for me, the artistic personality, whatever it is, it's like I've got a gaping wound on that same spot on my arm. Mm -hmm. And then somebody comes up and hits me on the arm. It kills me. It's intensified. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like my senses are, I feel the weight of good and the bad, feel the weight of despair and hopelessness and pain and destruction and injustice that's in the world. Feel that very deeply in a very real way. And I can't turn that off. And then I can feel and I can see the beauty and the majesty and the glory of all creation and the dignity and the value of people and humanity and see God's love for people. So holding those two, and sometimes it's kind of like a scale situation where it goes up and down and some days the despair and the despair wins, mm. basically. Yeah. And so I've had those days where despair wins in a big way in a, in a big way to where it's in an ultimate sense and where I it's the value judgment when you get to that point and you you know you weigh it out and you say living keep on going and dealing with this and having open wounds poured salt on basically by the world or by a relationship so for me at those times usually it was something relational was going on to where it was tanking um or in its the physical image issues. Mm. The first that time I hurt myself at that point, injured myself, and I couldn't work out, couldn't do anything, and I felt. Plus, I had a relationship with a girlfriend that just ended, and then another relationship that was kind of jacked up. I don't know. There were several things that kind of stacked up to outweigh any hope, mm. basically in the scales. And so, despair won the day, and I got I had a gun. And thankfully, by the grace of God, I didn't pull the trigger. And then ended up getting some help afterward. And kind of moved on from there and had some restoration and some healing. And then 
kind of gone down another hill, another valley years later, and then kind of baby stepped my way out of that. Yeah. And um, I don't know if I've ever been to as bad a place as that, that one spot for yeah. me, but really, really close. I've thought about suicide more times than I can hmm. remember in a very legitimate way and trying to plan it out times where I'm driving on the road and thought about crashing into another car and the only thing that would stop me <coughs> would be the thought of the other person and like I can't take somebody else out so then actually thinking how can I do this to where it only hurts me and not other people and trying to figure out the best way to <coughs> which sounds may sound strange that's not something best... you think of for fun on a daily basis it's like no. something you've but that's a moment. yeah I've had many of those where it's seasons where it can be literally months yeah. where every day that's a thought mm. and then the, the mental toll that that takes on you how do you like what do you think what's been helpful for you with with dealing with that um and diminishing like um cause you know I was talking to um you know Jody McBrayer a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned to him this blog post that I'd seen about how depression can be um, a great friend. Hmm. Uh, where like it kind of gives you perspective, you know, in a sense, where the wrestling with it helps you in the end, I guess. You know, I, I don't, I'd, I'd have to find it to be able to... Yeah, I would affirm that. You know I what I mean? I there's think there's definitely some value to wrestling with that and with the just for the empathy that it creates I guess like yeah. it can be depression can be very inward focused which is not the goal I think that that's where it starts to really go downhill so you take this empathy that you've got outward for other people and you see the suffering of the world but then there's a different type of depression that just looks inward and you have a constant pity party mm. and you're the only one that's invited yeah. so that is where and then you can stack those too and then you can start you know you can feel sorry for yourself and then you start feeling sorry for everybody else and then it's all just or you can go the other way and you start some good motives and you're really empathetic and you want to help people and then you start realizing oh wait I'm pretty jacked up too my life kind of sucks right now and then you stack them up until it gets just yeah. too tall so how, what's helped you but, like what have been some factors that helped you so I've actually been on so I think uh, therapy talking through things, counseling, having friends that can understand is a huge thing. Um, and friends that I had friends that pushed me into that kind of set me up with counseling at one point because mm. I wasn't even able to do it myself. I wasn't going to do it. And they like got me set up, got me there. So I've been on medication off and on. I still don't know how I feel about that. I'm a pretty holistic kind of guy. But it's helped. But I do feel like there are, I don't believe in the long term necessarily. I think it's helped me get out of some some valleys here and there. Um, Even if it's just a placebo effect. I don't claim to know a whole lot about it. But I know for me, there's been some sort of change and at least it's helped me a little bit. So that's a small, a small piece of the puzzle, I think. Um, for me and then just 
I guess a mental outlook and like the, I used to think it was so cheesy the power of positive thinking yeah but I'm becoming more and more a believer in that coupled with lifestyle change and a lot of other things but just a positive outlook and hope and what that what that does for you mentally and even mm. physically and how we are holistic beings and we're connected mind, body and soul like there's something to that yeah not that that's some super magical thing and I can just think that I have Alexis in the driveway right now yeah. and it's gonna happen but so music you know I never know what we're some, you know I always try to at least have an idea like I said we didn't have I didn't have much of an outline for, for this one speaking just cause we're music, friends speaking of music but, and depression this is for real it, comes, okay. it always comes back to snarky <laughs> for me music so music is part of that equation for me right of helping depression and if I don't I mean this seriously if I go for a few weeks without listening to a snarky puppy I get depressed <laughs> I'm not lying I really and I listen to it and it literally revives my soul I think music in general like great music um it has that effect on me to where like if I'm kind of going, not I mean, whether it be a dark time or just feeling like it's a dry time, where not a lot's happening and everything feels pretty you know, flatlined for a while, like listening to like music that really like hits me, yeah. it kind of like it like revives me, yeah. you it's know, a it excites power me. To it. You know? Yeah, and I think creative too. For me, that was another thing I was going to say is huge. When I'm when I don't have a creative outlet for an extended period of time, I start to go down big time. So there's something like rejuvenating about creativity for me because I believe that's what I was created to do. Yeah. I think that's a common thing when you're not doing what you're created to do. The, the, the byproduct is depression and a sense of hopelessness. Yeah. So that's another big thing. Even if it's just letting myself play for 10 minutes and write, sit down at the piano and just, let out something mm-hmm. when I don't do that I, I feel the weight of it it's funny like how that um, I used to feel like I was the only person that felt the way you know the, the emotional toll of creati- creativity and being that kind of person or whatever it's nice to know that I'm not alone in the world because I used to yeah. think it was just me like I'm a maniac. There's something wrong with me. And then mm-hmm. you, you know, especially if you move to Nashville and you start talking to people, we're all, I mean, it's amazing Nashville is a thriving city than it is because <laughs> it's just a bunch of yeah, nutcase depressed, depressed <laughs> artistic people in here. Um, but no, I mean, like, and you know, I totally get that. I mean, it's funny. People who are not, that don't live in that space would go, you guys are idiots and you, need help and you know, get your crap together and and it's like it's just I do think it's there's a wiring there like mm-hmm. I don't know what the purpose is in it I don't know the I think it's to, to emote and to translate things for the other type of people yeah that are yeah. in the world I think because they can't and they have everybody has their own giftings and abilities things that I wish I could do obviously of course 
the more organizational side of things, like we we all complement each other, I think. But for the artist to feel, it's necessary to feel things deeply in order to convey that and communicate that, whether it's visually or musically or whatever it is. So it's a two-edged sword, though, man. I mean, it cuts. Mm. So it cuts us deeply, and then in order to cut, the other side cuts into the people around us and the people that absorb the art. So it it, it hurts. Yeah. It makes me think it, about the song uh, just the other night. Did you see the Kelly Clarkson performance? I didn't see it yet. I meant to... The song's about her dad leaving her um, when she was a little girl and how he wants to be, come back into her life now that she's made something of herself mm. and, um, and talking about how he may have left her, but she'll never leave her daughter. And she met, you know, she married somebody who showed her that there are good men still out there and that will rebuild her piece by piece, her confidence in men uh-huh. piece by piece, what her dad left destroyed. It's just like I can't even handle thinking about it. And people are moved by that because there's people out there that can't say it that way, mm-hmm. and it says just what they, you know what I mean? Like, right? I mean, I yeah, I love what you just said. Like we complement one another. I feel like we can figure out a way, and hopefully this podcast will do that to help people to kind of go, what can I do to compliment somebody that's not like me, rather than like tear them apart, right. and criticize. There's so much freaking criticism out there. I'm just so over it. And it's like, so how can we be a part of the solution in helping people? I mean, you know, there's a crazy idea. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. Right. (laughs) You know? And so, like, it's just, I wish that, I wish for myself to get in that space of just going, how can I compliment and be of encouragement and help sharpen somebody that maybe is not built like me or who is built like me that we can identify with one another and just... And to learn from each other. Love. Right. Uh, that's, I know, a fanatical sounding thing, but... It's a little crazy. I don't, <laughs> I'm not on board. Speaking of loving people, finding the good in people, there's a little uh, non-profit charity organization that likes to oh, do yes. that. That is still kicking, even though it's been a little while since they've done some some work, some videos, but it's called unsung, unsunglife.com. I happen to be the founder of that. Which and, is, uh, explain what it is, because I, I think it's one of the best ideas you ever had. Which, thanks. I think it's a great idea. I'm still trying to figure out how to keep it, how to keep it going, how to make it grow, but if anybody's listening to this, if you're still listening, you want to be inspired. We do little mini documentaries on unsung heroes, so it's just awesome people that exhibit virtues that have a story to tell but they're not sexy enough so to speak in this modern day so you're not gonna the mainstream media is not gonna be doing stories on them you're not gonna they're not gonna be trending on Facebook so you're not gonna hear about it because the last name isn't Kardashian or whoever the hell is the so hot thing on the, the like your brand. first one was the first one was a story about a newspaper salesman who was homeless off and on named Charles who lived in Mobile, still lives in Mobile. A guy that I befriended and just listened to his story and then we decided to tell it. And then we went to a place called Somi Club, Survivors of Mental Illness, which is obviously dear to my heart. Yeah. And talked to some some heroes there that run that place and that are a part of that, that place there. Kind of a community center for people with different mental illnesses there in Mobile. 
to have a place to thrive and to communicate and to build their lives. Basically. Yeah. So trying to figure out a way to keep the ball rolling and maybe keep a mobile chapter, the home base, and then also move it here into Nashville. So I think the reason why I love Unsung Life so much is because it's a lot like what I want to do here, where it's like you want to connect real people with real people and help people realize, like, because, the, you know, like the Kardashians and, the, and all the, the, the celebrity that's out there, God bless them. And, but, like, that, for the most part, that's not real life. And, like, right. there is a piece of people, element of people that looks at that and go, I want that. But I think there's something more real and authentic and encouraging where you can look across the board and go, there's people just like me who are figuring it out. And that's mm-hmm. encouraging because it feels a little more tangible rather than the, well, if I just had $6 billion, I could right. X, Y, and Z. But being inspired by people who even have like, you know, what was his name? Charles? Charles. Has less than most people and is making that's the most the of his for life. Me, yeah. You know? And finding happiness and joy in that. Yeah. To look at the, the joy and the contentment in a man like Charles over the years, for me, that relationship has been... Like I said, when the tendency of depression and to have the pity party moments, when I look at all it takes is, it seems like it happened over and over to where I would be having the pity party day and then I go hang out with Charles or see him somewhere and then I'm just smacked in the face mm-hmm. and set right and kind of back to reality of being grateful. And I think gratefulness too is kind of that, this is, I forgot to mention that, it's part of the dealing with depression anxiety and the hopelessness is gratefulness and being thankful you can stop and I'm trying to teach that to my kids too because I have my oldest is very inward and analytical and depressive already as a six year old so trying to he tends to dwell on things and make the stack and the list of why life isn't good and so to try to undo that quickly and start adding up the thankfulness stack. How does that affect you as a dad? Like, what do you, does that scare you? Honestly, yeah. And how do you, what do you, what do you do to sort of like, what are some, what, do you, what are some things you do to sort of like help prepare for that possibility that you may be somebody that's bent like you towards I mean, depression? I pray for him. And trying to come up with, I feel like I'm on top of it, I guess. Like, mm. not Are you aware of it daily? Like, yeah, you try I mean, to be... it's a constant, I'm aware of it. Sometimes it's almost too much to yeah. where it cripples me and it depresses me, the fact that he's yeah. dealing with this depression at such an early age like I was. And then I see how close I came to ending it all. And then I look at him and yes, if I'm honest, there's definitely a fear of... I do kind of feel a weight of responsibility to make sure he doesn't get to that point. Like, as if I, whatever, if there's something my parents weren't aware of with me that they could have done, which I don't really know. Like I had, I really did have loving parents who did the best they could. I'm doing the best with my son. I'm trying to come up with practical, practical ways and hold the, our model around the house is that if they, our kids can breathe in an environment of love and acceptance. So all the specifics, because there are 75 billion different things that you're supposed to do 
for your kids if you just look on the internet and how to raise your child and good lord every other person on the street knows what's best for your kid and how to do it right and so boiling that down and coming to peace with our kids are raised in an environment of love and acceptance then that's that's the environment they're in and they're going to have these ups and downs and then I can come up with practical solutions here and there as time goes on yeah. and right now he needs to learn how to be grateful and thankful and come up with these things yeah. and then we'll see the I anticipate challenges for sure in the future and um, I think I see great potential as well it's one of those things like he's he can change the world yeah. and I really believe that he has the potential to do that and so that's exciting and it's almost like feeling like you've, you're I don't know, you're grooming and you're cultivating and you're watering this plant that's going to grow and blossom and feed the world. Yeah. And the, But ultimately it's the, the sunshine and the soil, all, all, the, all the different factors that come into it. And you can try as much as you, you can. But um, ultimately, I do believe that God's in control and that God loves my son more than I do. Yeah. And so trying to trust... But I do suck at it. I, I totally... I think we all as parents feel like we suck at it. Trusting God for the future, for, man, freaks me out so much. I just don't... I want to I wanna have control over my kids' lives. Yeah. So badly. Oh, my gosh. That they just... Any, any normal, loving parent would say, yes, I agree with you. If I could help... You know, I mean, like, I do think that, you know... I think I am who I am today, the good parts of me because of the struggles that I've had. I'm actually thankful for some of the dumb things that I've done. Some of the mm. big dumb things I've done because like I said a while ago, like I just I literally do believe that God somehow takes the hard times and and works them out. And sometimes we have to go through those. We don't need someone preaching. Sometimes we have to walk through it and then right. we come out a little more beautiful on the other side of it. And um so you, I do think it's important as a parent, you don't want to let, um, you don't want that for your kids. You want to just, right. like, you want them to be perfect. And just the idea of watching, I mean, Ella will be, is our oldest. So she'll be the first one to deal with growing pangs and teenage right. years and dating and driving. And like, it's like, I feel the pressure of making sure like I can steer down the right path but at the same time I don't want trying to find a place where I can step back and go you know but you gotta be your own person you right. gotta learn and man that's a that's a hard balance cause you love them you know and like it's you know I think of that scripture like you know if we who are self selfish and you know evil I guess you know our minds are so like small and God who is perfect and has everything figured out wants to give us good he wants to give us good things and I feel like that like I want to right give give my daughter and help her have great things um but you have to entrust them to the to the Lord because even us we want to give them good things but I think he wants to give them best and sometimes right. I have to go through that yeah that junk. and it's crazy he's six it's crazy like 
how you can see their personality start coming out at such a young age. Man. Like yeah. one would say, we might go, trying to teach a six-year-old to be grateful, you're, you're kind of jumping the gun. But I remember like Ella, when she was one and a half or something, you start seeing the little emotional side of the mm-hmm. girl. <laughs> and I was like, this is too soon. Like this is way too soon. But like their personality, you can really see, especially when you spend so much time with them. Oh, right. You know? Anyway, parenting is a beautiful, crazy, difficult, frustrating, loving, awesome. Like, it's, it's everything. everything. It's, it's everything. Oh my gosh. Well, dude, um, I feel like, I mean, because you and I spend so much time together anyway, we could talk forever. Um, but I, I want to go ahead and wrap this up. I have a feeling one day we'll do another one together. Right. Um, when does Mr. Jeremy Mayfield feel the most alive? Hmm. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Feel the most alive. For me, it's creating. Mm-hmm. I really feel like... I, mean, I'm, I'm, I actually, you know, it's surprised we didn't talk about music as much... But you're, I mean, you generally, and I generally mean this, you're one of the sharpest musicians I've ever worked with. So it's kind of funny for me to hear that you started working on music when you were 13, 14 years old. Because you really are, I brag on you all the time. And I was just talking about you last night to my wife about just how I think you're, you're an amazing musician. And it's not that you can, I mean, you've, you've got some cool things you can do. But it's not necessarily that. It's just you're smart and you're intelligent with your musicianship and the way you approach things. Well, thanks. I yeah. That. I mean, so I'm actually surprised we haven't talked more about music. <laughs> I know. Two musicians. Well, you're so great. But um, I do love the yeah. create the creative side. Right. I feel like I was not necessarily playing. Born to create. We're just create creating anything. Right. So being creative in music is my that's the main thing. So yeah, I guess creating music. And being with, I don't know, being with my family, those things kind of, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's a different sense maybe mm-hmm. of feeling alive, but, and there's still no greater joy for me than being with my family. That's just out of the ballpark. I can't even handle it. But if there's something else, it would be, and maybe in a way it's being creative, my created my children co-created my children mm-hmm. in a way so like I don't know and, and seeing their creativity coming out brings joy and kind of enlivens me and so uh, and also uh, listening to Snarky Puzzle <laughs> makes me feel alive. what's the best advice you've ever been given hmm A lot. Mm, <laughs> There's a lot of it. I'm pretty dumb, so I'm doing how people give me a lot of advice. Uh, Dave, that's a best advice. <laughs> I really. We'll come back to that one. We'll come back. I've been given a lot of great advice, I feel like, but I can't. Bad advice? 
<laughs> Why are you really good at this? <laughs> All right, this will be an easy one. Favorite books? Uh, Mere Christianity is special to my heart for sure. Um, that kind of opened the world for me. I read that one again. Well, I heard that was two, two or three years ago. Hmm. Like coming back to that one every once in a while is. Um, it's a really good thing. Like it's it's an amazing. I need to go back. Book. It's. Cr- I wish I could think like that. Right. Because I think it like, helps you. The more you read in that world, it does trains you. The way C.S. Lewis like even reconvinces me that because he takes everything from such a mm-hmm. um, a lawyer sort of <laughs> very intelligent. Mm-hmm sees everything from all these different points of view. Like, mm-hmm. he re-convinces me that Jesus is worthy of our trust and faith, you know? And so, like, I, anybody that doesn't have faith in Christ, like, like I encourage to read that book if you're just curious as to why I even bother, you know? Like, it's such a... Yeah, I think it's a great... It's accessible as well. It's mm-hmm. a great place to start. It's not... It gets kind of deep at places but it he leads you into it well I think that's a great starting spot I still I mean the, on Lewis the Chronicles of Narnia are still pretty I mean I, I, I've never I read those read them as a kid and I feel like there's still some just some of the pictures and the imagery now that my kids are actually reading so Levi my six year old he's up there reading Chronicles mm. right now before bed and uh and just to see the the longevity and how they can still be so powerful and then some of the imagery there to convey deep spiritual meaning that just blows my mind one thing I, I want to start reading and what my kids are reading is the wing feather saga to put a plug in for Andrew Peterson who is also a musical and creative god among mortals <laughs> he depresses me just for the fact that he exists and does so many things that I'll never be able to do but you should never listen you, to him again if you don't know Andrew, listen to everything he's ever done and read his books, which are now going to become like a movie or a series, animated series, The uh-huh. Wing Feather Saga. Which um, so the dude writes brilliant music and massive books. That are, anyway, goals, life goals. If I can hang out with Andrew Peterson and Snarky Puppy on the same day, <laughs> that makes me feel alive. That will give my life meaning and purpose now. Okay, so um, favorite. Books and the the Bible goes without saying, I guess. But um, was desiring God a big one for you for a while? Did you? That was, I, I got into that. I don't even know if I finished that book, honestly. Um, that's right, as because we used to have little coffee shop group meetings at Carpe, and I read that book right around that time. Because, like, talking to you guys, you guys were also, like, theology-heavy, and um, and it was, like, new new world for me. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's when I read that book. And, I mean, I think I read it twice. Really? 
I don't say that just to be like, oh, I read the book, Joe. But like, it really just, it so like was new to me. Like mm-hmm. the idea, of the, I think the richness of faith that I had, and John Piper has such a way of saying things. It's just, I think he's brilliant. But um, So I was more into listening. Like I've listened to every Piper sermon. Yeah. Up until I that point, this. whenever that was back in that time point, I've listened to every one. I've never heard times. a preacher who's more passionate about scripture, the word of God. And yeah. Protecting who Jesus is, and you know, and lo- like it. that's one of the things that I take with me. I say some of the things from that Calvinist time, and I was in that John Piper was my hero kind of thing, almost to a fault. I think maybe I idolized him a little bit too much, but that the passion for scripture. I had someone. Admirable. I had a friend one time, like John Piper, I just preached, and I said, "How was it?" And I had missed it, and um, it was a conference, and he just kind of like fake yawned over it, and I was like, "How can you yawn at a? How can you yawn? Yeah, how can right. you as a minister yawn at another minister who is insanely in love with with this thing called the gospel? Like, how can you yawn? You should right. be going. You should be standing up, applauding him." You know, and and ask yourself why you're not more passionate about it. It was just that kind of moment where it's like I'm a mm-hmm. little disappointed in who, in you by, by right. acting like that. I think the Confessions of Saint Augustine is another great I book. One. I, did, for I read me. that one too. That one's, yeah, Augustine's life, his story, is really encouraging. Another sort of to see the the faults and how God can use and take anybody and to become one of the greatest saints of all time. And one of the greatest theological minds. Mm-hmm. It's truly amazing. Hmm. Uh, any mentors in your life? That... Um, I feel like I've had... Besides me? Besides you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> My master. I bowed before Sensei Lockwood. Uh... I've had, I feel like I've been blessed over time in, in different ministry roles that I've had to have mentors. Like the most recent one for me, I guess I can think of, I was a assistant minister at Christ Anglican Church down in Mobile. And David Walton, who was uh, just a fantastic man. Can't say enough about him, who kind of took me under his wing and kind of has a, a fathering heart, really beyond musical things just truly cares about anybody and everybody and uh, truly cares about me and kind of poured into me I think over the last several years that's been a really valuable valuable experience and uh, I don't know I feel like they're I'm meeting more people now too kind of starting to reconnect with some other worship leaders John Chisholm is one that who was a Christ Anglican minister as well, years and years ago in Mobile. I'm starting to reconnect with him and try to glean from him and his wisdom. I think that's it's a lost art. Yeah. Is respecting, forget about even respecting the elderly. People don't even respect the elderly, and but to take the step after that, respect the older, respect your elders, but also learn from your elders. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom that they have. Listen, yeah. Kirk Deerman is another one that I'm 
recently come in contact with again, who was another Christ Anglican church worship leader years and years ago. So it's interesting how God's kind of, and he's in Nashville, so, and he has decades of wisdom. And so I'm trying to always be on the lookout for that kind of influence and that kind of learning, just to sit at their feet kind of and learn. Do you have any regrets? Um, I think looking back on my high school, college time, which I guess is the prime regret factory for most people, anyway, of just the way that I the way that I dealt, I guess, with my issues and kind of getting into relationships, looking for some sort of validation. And I was not a big man on campus by any means mm. and dating lots of people, but I, I tended to gravitate toward long-term relationships and got, I think, super connected and overly involved to where it was detrimental to both of us. Mm. So the pain that I caused and then the pain for for me at the disintegration basically of those relationships something that still I really regret kind of haunts me sometimes um and I do regret not pursuing more I guess maybe musically as a college student and getting coming out of college I think I settled too often mm-hmm. and I just took the job that I had to take or needed to take and part of that was financially necessitated yeah. where you gotta pay the bills I don't come from a wealthy family so I was paying car note and everything else kind of deal as a teenager but I think there was still a mindset that settling and watching some other friends of mine musically go and do things that I was too afraid to do or for, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I view, I, I definitely have some wasted, wasted years, I think, mm-hmm. of, that I can never get back, that I would encourage anybody listening who's in that, who's younger to, I don't know, to pursue more and to not, not settle, yeah. whatever that means for you at this time, but don't listen to the lie of that. Huh. What do you what do you what do you most want to be remembered for? I think simply if I, one word really, because I thought about this as is a servant. And I hope that I can serve my wife and that can be her testimony when I die that she can honestly say that Jeremy served me for all our lives and that I could serve my children well and that I served God by serving others that word like I really I want that to be more I think that's one of the most admirable things to shoot for really yeah. and I think that kind of leads if you're a true servant then you're, that's humility is wrapped up into that and empathy and genuine love and compassion and so many things can be wrapped up in that one little word 
Mm-hmm. If that can be the defining characteristic of my life. And if I serve people by making art, making great music, hopefully, that inspires people. And then hopefully that can be a way of serving yeah. serving people. There's greatness in that, too. Not that you do it for that, but it's, it's hard to... Uh, you never hear anybody go, boy, he really serves me a lot. Too much, right. Right, right. <laughs> you know? That guy just serves too well, you know? really. He does. Treats people way too good. Right. You I know? never want, yeah. I think if I err on that side. I'd rather be criticized for that than. Yes. And think exactly. that's admirable, admirable for, if that's what you would. And like you said, the, the greatness of it, Jesus himself said it to be the, the greatest of all, must become the servant of all. Which is a hard thing to do, because you read that, you do. read it, and you go, uh, "Yeah, okay, I can do that." Right. But then put it in action. But then, yeah. Go live your day serving everybody, humbling yourself. Go for it. Yeah. You know, like it's hard. It ain't easy. It's hard. Pride gets in the way, and you want to be, you right. want to be the big man on campus, and you want to get the big opportunities, and right. You know, or whatever. And I mean, it's it's hard. So. Um. I've been driving you crazy for, I, we've known each other for, I think we were talking about this not long ago. It's weird, because we've known each other for about 15 years, maybe? I think that's what. Which what is said. bizarre to me, because it doesn't feel like that. I know. Because you and I, for the most part, have had a long distance right. friendship, you know, like... We've spent most of our time getting to know each other when, while I've been up here. And we started a band. Or right. We were going to start a band before I left town. Right. Um, you jerk. Which would have been a great band. Which would have been. <laughs> but, um, but it's funny, like, I, um, I mean, 15 years of friendship. And I don't know why, Jeremy, but, like, I've always just felt like, like, a closeness with you. Like, I just felt like we get each other and I don't think I don't think we're exactly alike but somewhere in there it's like we just I don't know it just seems to be similarities and differences to make it all and so I'm thankful I'm thankful for your relationship your friendship and I'm glad that we can be friends but I was saying that because like you know you were talking about regrets on taking advantage of opportunity I'm glad you're here in Nashville because I've been hounding you for a long time about coming to Nashville (laughs) finally remedying some of my and not that Mobile is a bad place whatsoever, but I, like watching somebody as talented as yourself, like I love, I'm hoping that this will be a great moment in your life to where coming up here, new opportunity, you'll be encouraged by, you know, what's before you and the things you get to do. And um, I hope that financially it all flourish and, um, and then it's good for you and your family and, um, I honestly do think you're one of the finest keyboard players slash musicians I've ever met. And um, and one of the things that we didn't touch on, but just so you know, like one of the things I love about you is the way that you can connect with people. How you'll go into a coffee shop or you'll go wherever, wherever we're at, and you connect with people and you kind of see past the surface and, and you see people for just being people who want to be um, noticed maybe hmm. and, and you you have like such a gift you know I don't know if it's you know your your Christianity or the spirit in you 
I don't know what life experience is. I don't know if it's because you've been through so much depression, but you have such a way of connecting with people. And maybe that's why I like you because you, you just tend to like, you just have such a way with people. I don't know. And it's, it's a great gift and I'm always encouraged by it. And I love that's it. Awesome. And I kind of, it's one of those things I, I noticed from you that I kind of walk away going, I really wish I could be like that. Cause I'm not good at yeah. like meeting somebody for the first time and then making them three minutes later feel like we've known each other for 15 years, you know? And you have such a way of doing that. So for someone who's known you for 15 years, it's all the more um, good to be your friend. And mm-hmm. um, and I just, I want you to know, like, I'm always here for you. I think the world of you. I'm not just saying this because of the podcast. I think you know this, even if we weren't hitting record here. I think you're a great guy. You're a great talent. And, um, and I'm always here for you. I pray for you quite a bit. Um, and I just, just want you to know that I genuinely love you. And, um, and we're going to do some really cool things now that we're in the same town together. So, Amen. To God bless that. you. Thank you so much for yeah, saying man. all that. I really, and it's the not Lord fluff. is merciful. No, I, I believe you. I so, think it's all that combined. And anyway, thank awesome. you. I really appreciate it. I love you too, man. All right, dude. God bless you. I'll post all your links online. Bravo. Jeremy Mayfield, everybody. Coming out.